as we continue in worship this morning and continue in our series of Hosea. You know, we we got to remind ourselves, I think, of a, a couple things. And, and one of those is the idea of this, and I've said it over and over, but we need to be reminded again and again, especially in our world, God is in control. God is in control. And, and, and sometimes we may put that around and we may say, is God in control? But we need to be reminded every single day, God is in control. That's the idea of this sovereignty. Sovereign, this idea of kingship, and he is, his kingdom is the world. He is in control. Maybe we should just close up our Bibles and I can say anything, or including prayer, and we can go home. And some of you, Dan's already there. You know? Uh, you know, Ron Clutter may be right behind you, Dan. I know how you guys work at meetings. Ron makes the motion early. Then dismiss. Why are you looking at me like that, Ron? I already tried to get you breakfast. <laughs> I'll hear about that on Wednesday. You should come and hear what he says on Wednesday. But God is in control. The issue is not, is God in control? The issue is, is we want to be in control. We don't like not being in control. We want that control. We want the ability to say, ah, it is this is my life. I'm going to live it as I want to live it. Or we would say, yeah, maybe God is in control, but he doesn't really care what I do or how I live. And scripture is full of those things, but we must be reminded that even though we want to be in control, we are not in control. Jesus would say something like this, that one, uh, if you want to gain your life, you must lose your life. And whoever loses their life for my sake will still gain it. A paradox where we must uh, do that dirty S word. I'm not sure what S word you just thought of, but here's the S word that I think we don't ever like, and we really don't use. Submit. The dirty S word. Submit. To submit to the Lord. To submit to the Lord's word. Because we need to be reminded of this. And this is the theme verse, I believe, of Hosea, found in the 14th chapter. Who is wise? You want to be wise? Let them understand these things. Who is discerning? Like, who wants to be able to rightfully distinguish between right and wrong, good and best? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. God's way is always the best way. Do we really believe that? 
Sometimes we would say wholeheartedly in our minds, absolutely. So would the nation of Israel. They would say, absolutely. But their struggle, as we learn in Hosea 8 and 9, I'm going to go all the way through uh, 9 this morning, is they rejected the good for something that was okay. It talks about here that they set up kings without my consent. Verse 3, Israel has rejected what is good. And they started to set up kings and leaders without the consent of God. They, they started to go after the silver and the gold. And you go, well, God might be in control, but it's really hard to let someone be in control when you can't see them. You know? Uh, we have a saying in our world, when, when the boss is out, the mice will play, right? You know? As long as the one in charge doesn't see it, doesn't matter. And, and to some extent, that is the struggle of the nation of Israel, but is that not our struggle? To truly do what God wants when we, we can't see him always. When we're not sure, what, what does that really look like? It's not that by picking up kings, the nation of Israel was, was picking something bad, per se. They were okay. God permitted kings. But the issue is, is they failed to see the good, and they went to something that was okay. You know, I remember, and I may have used this analogy, uh, you know, in our household, we are uh, maple syrup snobs. Okay, I think that's a good way of saying it, and I think it's accurate, okay? Don't ever give us artificial maple syrup. We just, sorry, we will throw it in the trash, okay? Uh, we like, well, actually, we'll give it away. We don't throw much away, okay? We will give it away because we don't throw we, we, we like the real stuff. And Alicia's brother has made real maple syrup uh, at one time. But if you're used to the okay stuff of the uh, artificial maple syrup, you get the real stuff of what happens. They don't like it. I remember working with teenagers, as I still do, and I would give them, we would make pancakes, and we would give them the real stuff, and they're like, this is nasty. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, and I have more for me. You know? But they were so used to the okay aspect of imitation maple syrup that they didn't realize what they were missing. And when they got the real stuff, they couldn't handle it. We are at a point in the time of Scripture where the nation of Israel has been okay with just the okay leaders that have been before them, the way things have always gone, that they don't even see the need or that there is something better. They reject the good for the okay. They go through the motions of worship life, the religious life. They go through the motions of what it is. They offer sacrifices, they eat the meat, but they don't have any acknowledgement. They get, they get the harvest every year, and it must be good because everything is going okay, and they fail to see the one who's behind them. They fail to truly seek God. They may have said, God is in control. 
But they acted as if God didn't care what they did. When they started to pick leaders, at this point in time in the nation of Israel, those ten tribes, they no longer understood what God has put in the place, nor are they really seeking him. It may be one of those things. They seek him in order to check off something on the list. Okay, we prayed about that, now what do I want to do? And how many times do we in the modern day do a very similar thing? Oh, I know I have to make a big decision. Let me just pray about it. Okay, I prayed. Well, God didn't verbally tell me what I should do. So I'm just going to do what I think is best. And sometimes that can work. God's given us a brain, okay? And, and sometimes he uses our own uh, way of thinking. But many a times we'll go, okay, I prayed about it. Now what am I going to do? We, we see prayer or seeking God as a checkbox. Okay, did that. Uh, now what? And throughout the book of Hosea, what we see is God going, I don't want to be a checkmark. I want a relationship. I want a discussion. I want you to sit down and seek me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But instead, when we treat him like a checkmark, the words of Hosea 8.14 become true in our life. Israel has forgotten their maker. And they built their own palaces. The psalmist would say, unless the Lord built the house, the workers work in vain. But the workers wouldn't know that. The workers wouldn't have seen that. They're going to continue to do the work. And so may we, at times, we see here that as we go on, that Israel thinks they're in the right. They worship, and they worship as if nothing is or was wrong. They continue with the festival of the booths in chapter 9. They, they, they rejoice, they're jubilant like every other nation. However, they fail to see that you can't just go to a place of worship and then act like God's not in control and think God's close. That's exactly what I want. Either God is in control, or he's not. Either he gets to say how all of life is, or we. He doesn't want just a little bit here or there. He wants all, or to some extent, nothing. We read, and I, and I think come fall, and I'm really praying and contemplating, uh, looking at the letters to the churches of Revelation for our fall series. Not going through the whole book of Revelation. Don't get too excited or too disappointed or too anxious. I don't know which one you may be. But those letters. And in one of those letters, he says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I can't stand it. God wants us to truly see him. And the story of John chapter 9, the woman at the well in Samaria, the question was asked, where are we supposed to worship? Do we worship in Jerusalem? Or do we worship here at Bethel? That was the difference between Samaritans and Jews to some extent. And what does God say? 
He, he does what no, no good Israelite would have, would have wanted, nor no good uh, Samaritan would have wanted. He, he says uh, this, yet a time has come, is coming, and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And, and a couple months ago, Ron did a wonderful job of kind of laying that out. And, and I'd encourage you to talk with him some more to go a little deeper there. But what Jesus, to some extent, was saying is, if we think it's all about a place and not about how we live, it doesn't matter. You've already got the wrong place. You can't worship somewhere and then act like this truth doesn't matter elsewhere. You can't say, I'm a Christian on Sunday and come Monday, I can be whoever I want. That was the problem in Hosea. They would go through the motions of worship. They offered sacrifices. But instead of actually seeking the Lord, they went their own way. Because what does Hosea say in chapter 6? Quoted by Jesus, as you may remember, a couple times. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire a relationship, an acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. I want you to truly seek me, and then you will find me. When Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, seek and you shall find, he didn't just say seek once. The way he said it was seek and keep on seeking and keep on seeking and keep on seeking, and you will find. Do we truly seek God? See, the cause of some things here is the most tragic statement, I think, in all of Scripture. <clears throat> when it says here, let me find it exactly where it is, it says that God's presence will be away from you. That God will no longer be with them. That is the great tragedy of life. God removing his presence. When God will say, I will no longer be with you. And I know I had it here, and it has slipped exactly where it was. But it's an eight and nine year, I, I assure you of that. That God says, I am no longer going to walk with you. Ezekiel chapter 10 depicts this for the tribe of Judah. When in Ezekiel 10, we read that the uh, place where God was called the throne, the Holy of Holies, in, in the most holy place where the cherubim were on either side of, of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the Ark uh, where, where the priest would go once a year and, and, and atone for the sins. And it was only because God's presence was there that there was atonement of sins there. It wasn't the specialness of that art, per se. It was the representation of God's presence was there. And this was a very 
not to be, you know, but this was a very sacred thing for the nation of Israel. I mean, this was a sense of pride for the nation of Israel is we have God's presence. And we read in uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, these words, I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each one. The wheels sparkled like topaz. And he talks about their appearance. And they, as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions that the cherubim would face. But the wheels didn't have to turn. And then it goes, the cherubim rose upward. These are the ones that Ezekiel had seen. And when the cherubim moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. And then the cherubim stood still. They stood still, and the cherubim rose. They rose with them because the spirit of the living God was with them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and joined the cherubim. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God was above them. The glory, the presence of God left the place of Israel's pride. But they never even realized. God's presence was removed. God's presence was, you may be my people, but you no longer have my grace there. Why? Because they didn't want it to begin with. God was giving them what they wanted, and we must realize that God must deal with sin. He can't let sin run free because he is sovereign, because he is holy. And, and, and if we want God's presence, then we must understand that the sin in our life is just that sin. Why? Because we aren't the ones in control. I don't get to say what is best. I've got to look at the one who does. God must deal with sin. And all of Scripture is answering the question, how will God deal with sin? Not will he, but how will he? Maybe you know the story of Genesis 3 and 4, where Adam and Eve, they sin. And God has to do something about that. Not only did he pronounce some things there that, that we may not like and we don't like, all of a sudden life was going to change and not for the better. He didn't just pronounce judgment, though. He provided for sin. And we read in the very first stages that what did he do? He made new clothes for Adam and Eve to deal with their sin. You and I can't deal with our sin because it's going to leave us exposed. In many ways. But only God can cover sin in such a way that covers the shame of sin. Then you may remember maybe another story in the Old Testament, Noah, where in those days there was wickedness upon wickedness. And God says, I must deal with sin. How is he going to deal with sin? It caused a flood. Now, was Noah perfect? No, that's right, buddy. He got it. He got it. We're good. All right, he got it. He was perfect. 
But by God's grace, he decided Noah was righteous enough. Why? I think there's a lot of debate there. But he said, you, you, if you want to obey me, you, there's going to be an act come on. And by grace, Noah and his family were saved. Now, did they get it right? And we read in the rest of Genesis, Noah did not always get it right. There's hope for us in that way. Then God calls his nation and creates a sacrifice system. Why? As an answer to this, how will I deal with sin? But even then, we must realize the purpose of all those things was not just we would go, do, and act and think we were okay. It was to seek the one behind. Where do we go from here? Our hope is this. As I come to a close to being finished, our hope is that Jesus dealt with sin once and for all. He is the final answer. How will God deal with sin? He'll deal with it through Christ and in Christ alone. You and I don't have to work to try to deal with our sin. If we will, as the New Testament writer said, be clothed with Christ daily, our sin is up. Our penalty has been paid. And not only is that a wonderful thing, our hope is also that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the Creator. He was there in creation. He is God. And if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. God's presence. You have the power to live out the control of God. But we've got to do that dirty S word. Submit. We have to submit to Christ. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, as he wrote the letter, and here's the story of this church in Philippi, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not wanting us to be afraid in a sense of we walk back cowardly for what we know to do, but he's asking us to, in, in, in realization of what who God is, that we would work out the grace he has given us freely with fear and trembling, knowing he is in control. Because verse 13 goes on to say, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's all about what God is doing. Will you submit? So what is our response? How can we, how can we understand and learn from Hosea 8 and 9 about what pleases God? Have you ever thought, what would please God? I believe very simply, but very much, this is a simple statement. Our way of pleasing God is to humble ourselves 
request. And live out its grace. By humbling, we realize the truth of Scripture. God is in control. And I'm not. And that's okay. I joke with Alicia and, and others that uh, there, there are many times uh, due to my role and, and where I find myself in life right now that I, I tend to be in charge of lots of things. Okay? Sometimes I don't even know how I got in charge. Uh, and really, I, I want to be uh, just an Indian and not a chief. Okay? One is, I don't have to be in charge. You know? Uh, but sometimes it happens. You know, like one of those things, I was reminded this week, uh, or this past month, of, it's my job somehow to convene the people who are in charge of the Thanksgiving meal. Do you see how that worked? I don't know how I got that. I mean, I can tell you how I got that. Here's the beauty. And if I will humble myself, I really have to realize that Christ is the one in charge. You know? Christ is in charge. Now, how can I be gracious? Myself? Others? How can I live out that grace? What does that look like? How can we realize that, that God wants acknowledgement of Him, that I don't forget who He is? When I can be okay with not being okay. When I can humble myself and not just treat God as a check mark. I prayed today. I got that. Now let's go. You know? I turned in my homework assignment. I read a passage of scripture today. I'm good. God doesn't want that. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Continually. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. When I realize who's in charge, when I realize who my maker is, then I realize I can offer his grace to others. This day and always, as we look at humbling ourselves to Christ and humbling ourselves in submission to him and to one another as is fitting unto the Lord. So I challenge you, how will you submit to Christ today? Maybe it's in salvation, maybe it's in baptism, maybe it's in a quite a different ways. We've just formed our nomination committee. It'll be Larry Smith, myself, uh, Yvonne, uh, Terry Vincent, and Maya Newman. I point to where people normally sit, okay? Just so you guys know, those of you online, I'm not just pointing at them, but where they normally sit. Okay, the, the work will start soon. Maybe part of submission is going, saying yes. Maybe part of submitting to Christ, but with also saying no to an opportunity. I mean, there's such thing as a scriptural no, you know, when you're asked to do something. We don't always have to do it. You know, we've got to truly seek the Lord. Maybe he's saying, no, 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 not you. Not now. Because by saying no, we open up a yes for somebody else. 
Some of you maybe need to say yes in such a way. But where do you need to submit to Christ? And then where do you need to give grace? To yourself or to someone else? And in so doing, you live out the grace of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you at this time. We come to you humbling ourselves, knowing that you are in control. And because you are in control, we don't have to be in control. We don't have to fight for control and power in our world. We can submit to you knowing that you will make all things right and that your ways are right. And so, Lord, just help us to remember those things this day. Lord, as we continue to worship, not just through this next song and another prayer, but as we continue to worship you this day, may we do so knowing that you will deal with sin. That we can't just get by with whatever we want, and you will deal with it. And in your wisdom and your holiness, and by your grace and love. And so may we submit to your ways, which are always perfect, which are always good. And may we not substitute your goodness for something that is okay, but isn't real. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your cross, where there is always room for us to come again and again and again and for someone new to join us. Lord, may we share your good news with others. And may we share it with ourselves this day. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are able, please stand.